The scripture reading this morning is from the book of Mark, chapter 9, verses 2 through 29. Can we all stand for the reading of God's word? Mark, chapter 9, verses 2 through 29. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, Why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how it is written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt. But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd among, around them, and the scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, What are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. This is the word of the Lord. Kelvin installed this new thing right here, and it's, it's cool, but it kind of gets in my face a little bit. 
kind of want to swat it like a fly. So, um, let's, let's pray. Father, uh, we, we ask that you would uh, open our, our hearts um, to behold your glory in your word. Um, encourage us today. Uh, breathe life into our, our dead uh, souls. Uh, inspire us by your mercy and your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So being in the presence of God is what prepares us for life ahead. Absolutely prepares us for whatever's to come. Um, last week we talked about how discipleship follows the way of the cross. And as Jesus takes up the cross, right, we bear, we carry a cross um, following him. And so today we're going to see how the cross and glory are um, interwoven together, how they connect and um, in, in his life and how they continually shape our lives. And so Mark tells us about this theme now um, as he, he teaches us uh, to experience God's presence. And so Mark 9.2 says, And after six days, Jesus took him with Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good we're here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son, listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. So long before this happened, this event um, back in the days of Israel, um, Israel's exodus, God came down to a mountain that was called Mount Sinai. And the event was very similar to this event. Uh, the voice of God spoke and the people were afraid. Uh, Moses went up to the mountaintop and he asked to see God's glory. Exodus 33. I want to read that really quick. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will pro proclaim before you my name, the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I sh will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see my face and live. And so Moses couldn't see God's glory uh, directly, but he, he had to, as God instructed him, he had to hide behind uh, or in a, a, the cleft of a rock uh, as, as God's glory passed him by so that he would not die. Um, that's how, how magnificent um, God is. And, and just seeing God's backside, it's amazing. Moses' face lit up like a Christmas tree. You know, I mean, he was just, he was radiating God's presence such that when he came down off the mountain in front of all the other Israelites, they're like, man, you're glowing. <laughs> like, you are, like, you're on fire, man. Like, what's going on? Um, he was radiating God's presence. And so now again, right, we're, we're put on top of another mountain, and there's God's glory. And there are many things about the transfiguration, that's what this event's called, the transfiguration, that are so similar to um, Moses on Mount Sinai. So first, there's this reference to six days. And if you're taking notes, you can write down uh, Exodus 24, 16. It correlates with Mark 9, 2. There's the cloud that covers the mountain, uh, Mark 9, 7, and Exodus 24, 16. Then there's God's voice from the cloud, Exodus 24, 16, and Mark 9, 7. There are three companions mentioned, 
Um, the fifth thing we see is there's a transformed radiant appearance, as I mentioned. And then there's this reaction of fear, right, that, that, that the disciples uh, show that they're, they're afraid. And, and that happened, too, when Moses was at Sinai. Do we think that this is the same thing as this Sinai all over again? How many people think that? Nobody. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, you're all right. Um, no, it's, it's, it's not the same thing. Um, because unlike Moses, who only reflected the glory of God, Jesus is the glory of God, right? He directly is showcasing and showing forth God's glory. Um, he's the, the glory of God incarnate. Uh, another difference with this and, and Mount Sinai is the fact that three human beings are standing in the very glory presence of God, right? And they don't die. Peter, James, and John are not swallowed up by God's glory like Moses would have been. They didn't have to hide uh, behind a cleft of a rock and see God's glory pass by, right? But they, they, they were in the midst of this, um, when Moses was on Sinai, God came down as a cloud. Um, it sounds kind of weird to think of that, right? Uh, maybe for our ears. But um, in the Old Testament, this is called the Shekinah glory cloud. The Shekinah glory cloud. Say Shekinah. It's not she- uh, Shekinah. All right. Um, it's not Shania. It's not... Um, uh, see, we don't really have any words like that. But the Shekinah glory cloud. Uh, so, so when God says, no one can see my face and live... He's saying that there is this gap that exists, right, vertically, between us and God, and that, that, that God is holy, and simply we are not. <laughs> we are sinful. And, and this, the, his full presence, right, being in his presence as sinners, it would consume us. Has anybody seen uh, Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark? Yeah, all right. My people, my people. This is good. Harrison Ford. Um, George Lucas directed that. It was, it was one of his good movies. Um, I won't say what other movies he did directed well. Some he did not. Maybe the first three episodes. Uh, anyways, uh, anyways uh, so Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Okay. Um, so that's the one with the Nazis, and they find the Ark of the Covenant. And at the very end of the movie, they're, they're at the top of this mountain, and they open up the Ark of the Covenant, and Indy, I don't remember the girl's name. It's been too long since I saw the movie. Anyone remember? Mary? Okay, yeah, Mary. Marion. Marion, there it is. Okay, Marion. So he tells Marion, close your eyes. You know, shut your eyes. Don't look. And so they both close their eyes. But all the Nazis, they all look into the Ark of the Covenant and, like, out comes all these, like, ghosts and stuff, right? The, the, they see the presence of God. And what happens? They all die. Yeah, their faces just melt off. It's gross. And, and, and George Lucas captures this very well. Right? That if we are in God's presence, he is holy, we are not, that's what happens, right? Death faces us. It's a, it's, I recommend that part of the movie. It's a great part. <laughs> it's a good thing to watch. Um, so, so you can really understand the Bible more. So, um, so here's why Peter right, is so scared. This is why he's afraid. He's terrified. And in verse 6, he starts fumbling over his words. He doesn't know what to say. Which we're like, yeah, Peter, if I'm in your shoes, I, that's, I wouldn't know what to say either. So he says, let's build three tents, right? One for uh, Jesus, one for Moses, one for Elijah. One, one, three pop-up tents, right? And we're going we're gonna to protect ourselves from God's glory by, by making these, um, what's called a tabernacle. And that's, uh, in the Old Testament, that was a way to kind of protect yourself from God's glory. 
And um, as soon as Peter says this, what happens? What's that? God speaks. Well, before God speaks, what happens with something? Anything else? Cloud, right? What, it overshadows them, and then he speaks. You're right. Right? So, so the Shekinah glory cloud um, like appears, and then God says, as he says, he speaks, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. And if you remember back uh, to the begin, beginning of Mark's gospel, when Jesus was baptized in the Jordan, God had said that about Jesus. Now he's saying it to his disciples to, to tell them. Right? But they, they've just entered the very presence of God, yet they don't die. They're not like all the Nazis in Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and they're not, their faces are not melting off. And they're not closing their eyes, right? Their eyes are open. So what's going on here? How can they be in God's presence and not be consumed? Um, Mark has an interesting way of telling us how. So verse 8, he says, And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. Moses is gone now, Elijah disappears, and the only one left on the scene is Jesus only. Mark's telling us, right, it's only through Jesus that you can stand in the presence of God and live. So clearly. Not Moses, not Elijah, man, they merely pointed to Jesus. But you need Jesus if you want to be in my presence. And so if you want to worship God, if you want to be in his presence, then you have to believe and trust in Jesus. And it's his voice, as God says here, that you need to listen to if you want to see God and live. So what happens next? Um, Verse 9 says, And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, Why did the scribes say that Elijah must come? Uh, First, Elijah must come. And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased as it's written of him. All right, so coming, they're coming down the mountain, and uh, Jesus tells them not to say anything, uh, not to share anything that they just experienced, at least not until after he rises from the dead. And so they're, they're full of all kinds of questions now. They're going, what just happened? Um, they've witnessed something extraordinary. Now Jesus said you can't talk about it. And so they ask Jesus a question that still shows they don't understand anything. Um, last week, remember, uh, Peter rebuked Jesus for talking about the, him having to go to the cross, that, that he must what? Suffer and die. Yeah, and he didn't like that very much. And so and Jesus uh, rebuked Peter um, for, for that. And uh, now they ask in verse 11, why did the scribes say that first Elijah must come? Right. And this question reveals they still don't understand. They still don't want to believe that suffering and death must come first before glory. Um, they're going, wait, well, we just saw Elijah, and uh, we know, you know, we read the Old Testament, we know that if we see Elijah, that means that um, the, the end times are coming, right? The return is you know, it's all going to happen. It's, it's going down. And, and, um, and, and, and so they're, they're, they're kind of excited. They're, they're thinking, um, doesn't that mean now, Jesus, that we can just skip all the suffering and glory that you talked about, you know, that we talked about last week, 
and we just skip all that suffering and, 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 and death and stuff, that, that the, the Son of Man must suffer and die, and skip that and just jump right to glory. That sounds pretty good, right? Um, it would be really nice if we could do that. And, and so Jesus responds, yes, Elijah must come first. But he's already come, right? And he says these words. He says, they did to him whatever they pleased. In other words, Jesus is saying Elijah is John the Baptist. And remember, what happened to John the Baptist earlier in Mark's gospel? Anybody remember? Yeah, off with his head. <laughs> That's what Herod did to him. Um, and so uh, the, the people rejected him, and they're going to soon reject Jesus for the same reasons. As verse 12 says, it's written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things. And so because of what lies ahead, right, Jesus is preparing them for this. Because of how hard their road is going to be for these disciples, he's giving them his presence, right? He's appearing as this bright, radiant presence uh, in the transfiguration to encourage them for what's about to happen. Um, Have you ever experienced that kind of thing before? Where someone you love, right, comes alongside you and and just wants to be with you when you're going through a very hard time, when you're suffering, and their very presence, right, them being with you is what helps you get through that bit of suffering. Has that ever happened to anybody before? Yeah, a couple hands. Um, I'll I'll tell you a time when that happened to me. uh, a few years back, my dad was uh, diagnosed with uh, stage four non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, uh, which is very serious, and we were pretty sure that he wasn't going to make it. And uh, I, was, I was down in college. I was far away from home. And um, so I couldn't do anything about it. I got the phone call and just stuck at college. I can't do anything. And, uh, and, and uh, so I felt really helpless, didn't know what to do. Uh, I was really sad. And, uh, and at that time, uh, my cousin was in college with me, and so my, my uncle, my dad, one of my dad's brothers, he drove, actually drove down to deliver my cousin a bed for his apartment. And I remember we were down in, um, in a uh, parking lot, and uh, it was one of those underground parking lots. Right? This is just memory, so I'm like remembering all the little details. Not important, but we were... <laughs> he was delivering the bed... And I just remember uh, my uncle came up to me, and he just embraced me. He's my dad's brother, right? He gave me a hug. And, uh, and that was so assure, reassuring. That was so encouraging, right, that, that he was there with me in a time that I was experiencing some really, really hard stuff, right, as a young man. Um, and and, and, and that, that presence, right, being with is what helped get me through something. Jesus takes the three up this high mountain where they're all alone. He's transfigured before him. Elijah Elijah and Moses appear before him. The divine voice speaks to them, verse 7. And then at the end, despite the fact that suffering and death are inevitably coming, right? Jesus stands alone with these disciples. The disciples don't have to go it alone in this hard path of discipleship. In fact, as they hear the gospel, they're more flawed than they ever believed, but they're more loved than they could ever imagine. And in the midst of all that, right there, Jesus is with them. And the one who's called them as disciples to follow him doesn't leave them for glory, but he himself leaves glory to be there with them all the way to the cross.
for them so they could have glory. The gospel is such beautiful news, so beautiful, that it changes us and it prepares us for anything that's up ahead. Um, it's one thing to be told that Bona Forchetta has the best pizza in San Diego, okay? Um, and, and, um, but when you actually go there and you try, you experience for yourself the, the utter bliss of divine pizza explosion in your mouth, and it's just so good, your only response, right, the only response you can possibly have is, yes, Pastor Nick was right. That was the best pizza I've ever had. I know that that's going to be your experience. Because um, it's so good. And, and why is that, right? Why would you have that reaction? Uh, is it because you're receiving some, some new information about Bonafrichetta's pizza, that it's so delicious? No, it's not new information. But there's a difference between just knowing something, right, and experiencing, tasting it for yourself. Definitely go get that pizza. But... Um, um, when you, when you don't just know the gospel, right, but you experience the blessings of the gospel, the hope of the gospel, the joy of the gospel for yourself, there's a big difference. And I think we're better equipped to handle whatever life brings us, right? Whatever comes our way, whatever hardship might come your way, that you're able to handle it because of the gospel, because you know that you are loved and accepted by God in Jesus Christ. And that makes all the difference in the world. Um, uh, there was a, a woman who, uh, she really craved acceptance, and she was getting it from all kinds of different places. Um, first parents in her early life, uh, later from boyfriends, later from jobs, right? Uh, going through the whole thing, always, always wanting to seek likes, getting approval, um, from other people. And when she learned, right, the news <laughs> that you are approved and you are loved in Jesus, that changed her, right? She was no longer dependent on getting that approval from other people. All of a sudden, she, she knew she had it already. And so she stopped trying to prove herself constantly. And, and, and it changed her life. So how do we enter God's presence? How can we have more of his presence in our life today? Um, Jesus shows us how to enter into God's presence next. So entering his presence. Verse 14. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. Isn't that always what the scribes are doing? And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams, and he grinds his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And so this argument breaks out between the scribes and the disciples and this crowd. The disciples were trying to exercise a demon from this boy, and it it wouldn't work. And so the disciples are confused because... Remember, Jesus gave them all authority to do this kind of thing, and it's not working. And the scribes are going, it's not working. So we're going to capitalize on that, and we're going to point this out, and we're going to show you guys aren't really his disciples, or Jesus isn't really, doesn't really have all authority, right? Um, and the crowds are just confused. And so in this story, uh, a boy is demon-possessed, and this, this demon has made this boy deaf, mute, and have ep- epilepsy. Pretty serious. Um, 
Let's keep reading. So verse 19. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And so they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it's often cast him into fire and water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and you deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. So we see the reason that they can't exercise this demon from this boy. It's because they were trying to do this without prayer. They tried to do this without God. Why might this be a problem? What does prayerless reveal about our state? About um, how we view ourselves and our need for God? Well, it shows us, right, that we don't need his help. It shows us that we think that we're, um, we're adequate on our own. It shows us that we don't see our need for him. And so out of all of the characters in this story, right, who is the one who admits weakness? Which character? The father of the child. Yeah, the father of the child admits weakness. So not the disciples, not the crowd. It's the father. And, and so he, he, he's, he's the person in the story who admits that he, he does not have the tools. He does not have the ability to deal with the problem. The problem is, is too great for him. And so he asks for help. Imperfectly he asks, but he still asks. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And so Jesus says, if you can, he says, all things are possible for one who believes. So in other words, if you believe, I I can do this. Um, And the father says, I believe, but help my unbelief. Like, Jesus, I'm trying, but I'm, I'm so full of doubts. I don't know how this could possibly change. This is how he's been since childhood but I trust that you can do it. And, and so Jesus responds by healing the son, the son. This is a great story. It's a great story because um, it's good news for us. Right? How is it good news for us? Jesus is not looking for a perfect answer. Jesus is not looking for a thoroughly, theologically precise answer and response. He's not looking for really strong and mighty people here, right? What is, this example is of this, this you know, uh, weak, crying, helpless father acknowledging his helplessness. Jesus doesn't need our perfect righteousness, right? We need his. He's just looking for those who see our need for him. Help my unbelief. 
And so true faith or, or saving faith um, isn't a faith that has all the right answers, theologically has everything together, or is coming from someone who is, is confident or strong. But true faith is faith that trusts in Jesus instead of ourselves. True faith admits, right, I need my help, I need your help. I cannot do this on my own. Help my unbelief. If that's the kind of place that you're in, in the Christian life, honestly, like if that's where you're at before God, you're in a really good place. It's good to be in that spot. Because we recognize, right, that with prayer, we need God's help. The only bridge between sinful people and a holy God, as we see in this passage, is, is through the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's it. Uh, moments ago, the, the disciples were just asking what it means to be risen from the dead, right? They were wondering what that means. And Jesus, in the second part of our, our passage, demonstrates, right? He gives an example of what it looks like to raise someone from the dead. This boy, right? Everybody said, I, I think he's dead. And what happens? He rose, right? It's a, it's a picture of the fact that Jesus is going to suffer and die. But yet, yes, there's the cross, but there will also be glory. Yes, there's death, but he's also going to rise again. And so there's hope. And the reason he's going to do this is because God doesn't just want you to know about him, but he wants you to enter into and to experience his love for you, which you can experience in the gospel of Jesus. That you are fully known, yet still loved. Because when God looks at you, he sees the radiant face of his son. His perfect righteousness becomes your own. And you're a child of him. Let's pray.